As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. Thursday, September 14th, it's the Just Baseball Show. You've got Aram Layton and Jack McMullen again because Peter's been a little down for the count, a little stomach bug. He'll be back tomorrow. I believe he's going to avoid the IL stints, fortunately. So we're going to get Peter back here for the three of us tomorrow, but just kind of one of those catching up days, I feel like, on the Just Baseball Show, Jack, because there's some interesting things kind of going on, but we can't really do those topical conversations just yet. We're going to be previewing the playoffs very soon, so there's no reason to do that. We just discussed the NL wildcard, but I am excited to talk about the AL wildcard because Max Scherzer unfortunately goes down, and that kind of sent me on a little domino of what is the whole situation here? Every team has a little bit of like an asterisk, so I'm excited to talk about that. I'm going to make my case for C.J. Abrams potentially being a star. We're going to check in on a few other things across the league, but this is going to be a very topical and bouncing around type of episode. That's fine. Um, my tummy feels good. I've got Tums. Does Peter know about Tums? He does. I, I think it's a bug. The, the the bugs just swallow those Tums alive, man. Gotcha. Uh, water, sleep. Wait, you just got to pee it out, right? That's how that. That's yeah. how sickness works. Yes. You just pee the sickness out and sweat. Yeah. Apparently, just people think sweat. You can just sweat bad things out of you, apparently. You drink a ton of water, so you pee and you go to a sauna and you sweat. Yes. Yeah. I, I still don't buy that, but yeah, you never know. No, I'll do it. Listen, anything to get me not feeling like shit. So, Peter, hope you feel better soon. Man. Yes, yes. King will probably still be ripping the uh, the live stream in the afternoon because he just he's different. He's built different. Units. Yes, he's built different. But let's start with the AL wild card, man, because we'll start, I guess, with Scherzer and segue that into the AL wild card because it was frustrating in the respect that 
it finally looked like Scherzer was was cruising a little bit. And it just seems like this has been the epitome of like just what has been the last year and a half or, or almost two years for Scherzer, which has just been you see those like micro flashes and like, oh, there he is. And then he goes down or then when he comes back, you're like, oh, OK, he's finally healthy. He finally is the rest. And it just doesn't look the same. And I've never seen a Max Scherzer talk about rest. But before this start, he talked about how because he got roughed up at the start before yeah. how he, he's excited to just kind of get a little bit of extra rest. And he, he knows that's all he needs. To me, this is a dude that knows his body's breaking down a little bit and, and he's trying to empty the tank. And, and I want to see him be able to do that. It's really tough seeing some of the best of our generation kind of go out like this. It, he's still getting out. It's not Wayno like who actually that's another one I want to talk about. Wayno gets win number 199. I have no idea how he's making 85 play, uh, but he somehow finessed the win. We'll talk about Wayno 200, but it's just tough watching guys go out like this. But usually that's the nature of the beast. Not everybody goes out like David Ortiz or even an Albert Pujols, but his case even it was misery for seven years. Like it was a slow death. And Pujols and Pujols looked Pujols. Pujols Pujols looked very old. Yes, like even during this time, you know, and he was emptying the tank. But like you could tell that he was emptying the tank as opposed to Poppy, where it was, hey, this guy, it looks like he's got five more years of talent in him, and that's yeah. just not what we're getting here. With Scherzer, I I think you could probably guess that he was going to be the one of the old guard of pitchers that was going to taper off the quickest because you know like what is it mass times acceleration and, and all that. But I mean, he, he's always been a skinny guy that is, you know, arms flying around and, and everything like that. And I, I think 96 was going to turn it into 93 when he hit 38 years old. And I think that he knew that and everybody else knew that, but what stinks about the Scherzer one is his body is kind of not disagreeing, but he's showing signs of age before Verlander does. And before, I mean, shit, has DeGrom even allowed himself an opportunity to show signs of age? Not really. Um, no. But like Kershaw, man, like, yes, Kershaw's velo is a little bit down, but this guy is still so successful and he's figured it out. Scherzer, it just seems a little bit more like, okay, old guy pitching still. And, and yeah. I think that's what we've got here. And a tricep issue, I, I just said this to you right before we started recording. I that's not common. Like I I don't really think about triceps when I see, you know, pitching injuries. Yeah, and I think that's again not a doctor, but you know when your body's just starting to go. Like, remember Degrom, it was like a million different ailments before the the massive ailment, and it just feels like is your body starting to, you know, just slow down on you a little bit. It just Real seems quick. like different things, different parts of the body start to to try to pick up for others and compensate for others, and you get all these random different ailments. I know like Scherzer was dealing with the lat issue a lot last year, but real quick before when I'm looking at the game logs, which is interesting too, it, it's, it's interesting because I still feel like when you roll Scherzer out in the postseason, there's that chance that he can give you that dominant start. And that's why I want to talk about the Rangers rotation. Cause if he is hurt, we don't really have too much on the update side. They say spasms, but spasms can mean a lot more that could just be the the yeah. entry level uh, aspect of what is a, a much larger issue well, that, that an, could keep him out. But and another look, thing real quick is you can be a doctor if you want. You can diagnose him with something if you want, because Twitter has a ton of doctors. Oh, yeah. 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 
So no, you're good. If you do want to like declare Scherzer out for the rest of the year, feel free because there are a lot of people on Twitter doing that already anyways. Yeah. So yeah. what's your, what's your diagnosis doctor? So, well, well, the baseball diagnosis aspect of it here though, is like he was throwing pretty well. I think he was, in. Uh, you take away a couple blowups where yeah. he had that three and two thirds. He kind of gets pulled quickly uh, against the brewers. That was on, on August 20th. And then that blow up the start before he got hurt against the Astros, where he gave up three home runs and it was uh, seven earned over three innings. But again, in this in this outing where he he leaves five and a third shutout against the Blue Jays, two strikeouts, only three hits. And I'm looking at a couple of the other games like within the last month or like the last 30 days, we had seven innings of one run ball. Yes, it was the athletics, but still, I mean, it's a major league lineup somewhat. Angels, similar kind of thing, but seven innings, one hit, no runs, one walk, 11 Ks. And then the Twins, he he did it to them. That's a more legit and fortified lineup. Seven innings, four hits, two or uh, one home run, which was two earned runs, one walk, 10 Ks. So you're seeing those double-digit Ks kind of creep back in, right? He, you look at the first half, he only had two double-digit K outings in the entire first half, and he had two within almost a week of each other very recently. So it seemed like things were starting to come back a little bit. His Vigo was also up slightly. And even in the start where he exits, he was averaging 94 and a half on the fastball, which is better than he has been in a lot of his other starts this year. So it's tough. I feel like the Rangers were ready to, you know, kind of live or die by the Hall of Famer here in the playoffs and give him the ball. And what would it be game one or game two if they make it? Yeah, it would probably be game one. Because you go to Scherzer, yeah. who who would the game one starter be if it's not Max Scherzer? Jaymont? Yeah, no, like I'm gonna go to Scherzer. Like Bruce Bochy's going to Max Scherzer. I know. Yeah, that. that's the thing. Jay- Bruce Bochy's going better, to Max but like Bochy's going to Scherzer. The other thing you say if you take out the blowups, I don't want to take out the blowups because I think that is the that's the sign of aging. No, Scherzer for sure. in Detroit didn't have those blowups. Scherzer at his best in Washington didn't have those blowups. But here, you know, you mentioned those two starts with Texas so far where he had the early pull uh, and then he had seven earned in his second to last start. But I mean, dude, look at what he was doing in New York, man. Five and two thirds, 11 hits. Yeah, he punched out 10, but 11 hits in five and two thirds. He had three and a third, six earned. I see three and a third, six earned again. Uh, I mean, I see five and a third, five earned on eight hits. The walk numbers pile up too. the inconsistencies on a start by start are what has signified, I guess, the beginning of the end for Max Scherzer. And, and, you know, this injury, yes, it's, hey, he's getting older. But also, man, like it's, well, if you take out the shitty starts, best Scherzer didn't have shitty starts over the course of a given year. And that's why he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. You take out Nolan Ryan's walks, he's the greatest pitcher of all time, and there's no argument there. Yeah. Well, it was was funny. It reminds me of... um... Not to take us too far off track here, but I saw like a Phillies account that was like, you know, Kyle Schwarber, if you take out his defensive war, he has a 4.5 war or something, something ridiculous like that. Like that's a wildly uh, productive player. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, if you take out the worst thing, it, you, the, the good thing's going to be really solid. Like that, yeah. that was funny to me. I was like, if, if you take out all the exams I failed, I'd have like a three, two in college. Like that, that to me was a crazy thing. So I do, I do find myself guilty of that sometimes. And I think that's a good point, but what I'm getting at is there's the flashes that were enough that I think he gets the ball. As you mentioned, I know you agree with that point, but let's say Scherzer's out or even now, like you're not even getting that many of the flashes over the last one or two starts that we're going to get from him. If he comes back, 
what does this playoff rotation look like for the Texas Rangers if they make it? Because right now, I mean, odds are kind of in their favor. It's really close. You got a three-horse race for, what, two spots between Texas, Seattle, and Toronto? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. So Texas is up a half game, and Seattle and Toronto are tied up here. And this series is obviously huge in terms of the implications there. But under the assumption, we'll get to the two other teams as well. And, you know, kind of who we think could make maybe the best run uh, out of you know these teams that, that are still in the hunt because Boston and New York are both uh, essentially eliminated, all but mathematically seven games out. What does it look like? Because Nadia Valdi is, I mean, they're, they're just happy to have him on the field. And, you know, it was a really ugly inning in a third in his first game back. He didn't even do any rehab. So I try not to put too much stock in that. Then you get two and a third against Oakland. He didn't look great there either, but at least he didn't give up any runs. It was three hits and two walks, though, in that span. Building up a little bit, though, the velocity, you know, sitting in the low 90s, average about 92 and a half. And in those two short spurts, though, which is worth noting, uh, like, what, what do you what do you do with this rotation at that point? Like wh- where are you going with your three man playoff rotation? If there is no Max Scherzer, Jay Mont's the one, uh, John Gray is the two and a very sheltered Evaldi is the three. And, and sorry, correction real quick. I was looking at the exit velocities off of him. 94 in the, in the first outing where he went an inning in a third Evaldi, and then 95 actually in, in that last outing where he went two and a third. So that is encouraging. He went up a tick, Despite throwing more pitches, that's always good to see. But yeah, I agree. You got to go what shelter Diavaldi with a piggyback. But again, kind of similar like we were talking about with a couple of these other situations across the game. We're talking about Kyle Wright, but Kyle Wright's obviously less important to his team than Diavaldi is to the Rangers. The next couple outings you get from Nate Diavaldi, I think, is really going to make or break how you approach his usage in the playoffs, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe that. Yeah, I think you could probably forecast that he's not going to give you seven. Um, And in that case, I want to create a tandem of him and Andrew Heaney or him and Dunning, even though I don't feel confident in Dunning at all. And I saw a good note from Lance Brozdowski. I I recently, now that we had him on the show, I'm on his, uh, what, email blast list that he sends out every day. Oh, nice. He gave a Dunning breakdown. I mean, the numbers post-All-Star break for Dunning are like, what they should have been pre all-star break for Dunning. And this guy had a horseshoe so far up his ass before the all-star break and credit to Dunning for keeping that horseshoe there and and credit to Dunning for getting outs. But I mean, it was like a head scratcher. How are you doing this? Um, I would have Dunning in the pen and use him as a long man if needed. But I think the plan should be Jaymont game one, John Gray game two, Eovaldi with Heaney as the design piggybacker for game three. Like that's not great. It's not good. It's not going to win them a series. Well, especially considering the fact that they've had the worst bullpen in major league baseball in the second half. Yeah. And it's tough. Like I I don't want to pile on the Rangers because no matter what happens, I mean, they could pretty much lose almost the remainder of their games. And this year was a step in the right direction. Yeah. But with how much they push the chips forward this year and how aggressive they were, you know, I don't think they mortgage the future by any means. The system is great. We just talked about how they added Wyatt Langford to an already really good system. Jack Leiter starting to look really good again. Like this is a, a very good farm system, one of the better in baseball. But just with the approach and the way they were playing in the first half and the aggressiveness, I mean, they were they were the biggest buyers pretty much just about out of anyone out there. It just I don't know how to feel about this team. Let's say they they make the playoffs, they get bounced in the wild card. 
Was this year a success for the Texas Rangers? Yes. I think the only reason we're kind of entertaining the idea that it wasn't a success is because they were the best team at baseball at a certain point before yeah. the all-star break. Yeah. If they weren't, fair. if they were consistently second in the AL West, if Houston came out of the gates and they looked like the best team in baseball and they looked like the runaway winner of that division, then like, I think we're calling this year a resounding success that Texas yeah. is even in the yeah. conversation for a wild card hunt. So, you know, it's almost like you don't want to hold the best start you can possibly imagine against them. But that's what we're doing subconsciously. Yeah, no, 100 percent, because our, our expectations shifted very quickly when so quickly. You know, they were pacing baseball in a lot of important areas, especially just in the win-loss column. So before we move on to the other real real quick, it's so hard to remember opening day. But if you do remember opening day, you were not talking about the Texas Rangers as a World Series contender. You weren't. We said they were the most volatile rotation in baseball because they could be the best. They could be the worst. They looked closer to the best and the worst, and that lineup somehow (laughs) came out of nowhere. And Leody Tavares hit 310 for the first 80 games of the season. (laughs) So like, yeah, yeah, it's impossible to remember opening day. But if you do remember opening day, remind yourself that you did not have the Texas Rangers winning the World Series on opening day. Yeah, no. And that's that's a great reminder of like how our our expectations kind of shift and and we kind of forget where we were at before. And before we move to the the other teams, I I do want to say, like, you look at some of the pieces that they're now sure of. And also beyond that, Corey Seager. I mean, this guy looks like he's going to be a perennial MVP candidate. I'm, I'm, I was nerding out, spent about an hour just looking at his swing from different angles. And I'm like, this guy like hacked it. This guy figured it out to another degree. And I think you can count on him being one of the best players in baseball moving forward. And then we know what Semyon has been able to do. And you see the young pieces and an Evan Carter coming up and some of the contributions that they've gotten from other guys and really good news that Adolis Garcia's injuries, you know, we don't know how he's going to be the rest of this year or if he's going to come back and be able to do much, but at least he's not out for next year. Like there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. You're going to get to Grom back. Hopefully is there hope by the end of next year? Is there any, any glimmer of hope at that point? Maybe it's almost, it was July, right? Yeah, it's probably unlikely. Second it's TJ. Highly yeah. unlikely. Yeah. But I mean, at least he, he exists on your roster and he hasn't really done that for them this year. Like it, it's interesting. And I, I'm excited to see how they build. Of course, bad luck with Josh Young going down as well. Like I think people also are realizing how important he was to this team. And you know, just it, it's it's a really fun ball club that I think is going to be good for a long time. And it's just kind of one of those things where maybe they got over their skis a little bit this year. We, we shifted our expectations and then, and maybe it's kind of coming back down to earth a little bit and some bad luck. I, I trust Chris young to kind of make the right moves and, and get them in the right place for next year. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that are very excited about them next year, but it's really hard to, for me to put them in the same conversation, even as Seattle and Toronto, because I just feel like Seattle and Toronto are more built for the playoffs and, and just have less warts, I guess. When you look at the roster, not that those rosters are perfect, but I, I just feel like they're more fortified for the postseason. Is that is that fair? It is fair. Um, my worry is Toronto's got to get there. And I just don't know how I feel about Toronto, frankly, getting there. Like, I feel good about Gosman giving them consistently really good starts. Um, I feel good about some assortment of Barrios, Bassett, and Kikuchi giving them, like, of those three, two are going to give them good enough starts on a per turn basis. The one that kind of gets me is like Ryu 
and the rest of that bullpen. And dude, I mean, yes, Davis Schneider has been so much fun. Yes, like Bichette has been consistent, but we still have not seen this offense like fire on all cylinders. I was so excited for a two week stretch where they were just unfreaking believable. We've not gotten that this year once, once. So that's my concern. Like, I think Toronto's so dangerous. But if I had to like stack these three right now, it goes Seattle far and away as the top dog. And then Toronto yep. slightly in front of Texas. I mean, it's funny because you look at Seattle and you look at the rotation and it's not even close when you compare Seattle's rotation to, to the other two teams. But you know, conventional thinking would say, oh, well, the other two teams have better offenses, right? And well, you look at the second half, Seattle's fourth in Major League Baseball in WRC+. plus. They add Jared Kelnick to the fold. And we've kind of been all over the map on Seattle because we I mean, the Just Baseball show, especially Peter Apple, very bullish on this team. And you know, they were very frustrating through points. And even now, like they, they've been much better and they're playing really good ball overall. But then you look at the last 10 games, all of a sudden they're three and seven. And we talked about the kind of the ebbs and flows of this team and you know how every time we think they're going to kind of separate themselves from the pack, they kind of let themselves drop right back in. But I don't see any of these three teams really separating themselves. I think with Seattle's rotation, they're going to consistently at least be in ball games. I'm worried that that Texas with the bullpen and and now, you know, Scherzer going down and the Dunning being more important now in that rotation, like there's there's some issues there. And Toronto, like I'm with I don't really know how to feel about Toronto. The, the offense has been fine in the second half. I'd say better than fine. It's been pretty good. 113 WRC plus. I wonder how much of that is David Schneider. Uh, they're, they're hopefully going to get Matt Chapman back. They're hopefully going to get some other guys back before the end of the season. But I feel like Seattle is just way more built for this playoff run here, or just to even get out of the first series because Toronto and Texas just, I don't know. I just don't trust them very much for, for very different reasons. Toronto is in the 10 range in team OPS this year, but in terms of runs scored, which is like, we forget the most important offensive metric in terms of teams. Like if you look at teams, it's not, you know, yes, it's WRC plus, but like, it's also runs scored. Like how many runs have you scored this year? Um, Cause that's how you win games, right? You win games by scoring more runs. Than that is true. Team. Yeah. Toronto is league average when it comes to scoring offense this year in runs scored, they are around the 15 range. They are around the 15 range in homers this year as a team. I was expecting this blue Jays team to be top five in homers. I was expecting them to be one, two or three in terms of total runs scored. And the fact that they are league average in both is really worrisome. Their bottom half of the league in stolen bases. Where's the dynamic here? The only no. like, real metric that they stack top five in baseball in is batting average. And we know that batting average, like, okay, whoop de doo you get your singles. Like you have to score runs to back up a pitching staff that has Alec Manoa sort of kind of in Buffalo. Like it, it's not really working for them. And I'm just waiting for it to work because at the beginning of the year, it was Chapman, Vladdy and Bichette. They all looked amazing at the very beginning of the year. Bichette was the one that kept that going for the longest, but it was like, okay, you got those three going. Where the hell's Dalton Varsho? You traded for him. Where the hell's Springer? Like now it's just the the pendulum keeps swinging and it's never all systems go, which is really, really concerning. 
And and Vladdy, I think you got to look at Vladdy and say, I mean, that's that's one of the biggest. He's, he's the poster boy for this because yeah. he's been league average, but he's been disappointing. Yeah, and and I mean, he can't be league average. He this was a, this guy was an MVP candidate. Toronto and can't be league not, average. No, and and Vladdy can't be, and and that's where I I do feel a little bit nervous about you know what they're able to do, but you know maybe something clicks for Vladdy, he goes nuts, and maybe they get some guys back. Like there's always that that spark plug opportunity for a team like this. But then you look at Seattle to kind of wrap up on the, on the AL wildcard conversation. And as long as the guys like Teoscar Hernandez and, and of course, J rod, who is still just being J rod, which is great, but I I'm looking more at the Teoscar Hernandez of the world. Who's been much better. I'm looking at JP Crawford. Who's been awesome in the second half. Like those guys I think can really end up pushing this team to you know, a different level here. How about Ty France? Like, what, that's another one that he's just been really frustrating in the way he's kind of sputtered out and plateaued to a degree. But again, Seattle's offense has been awesome this this second half, and I think you got to feel pretty good overall, even though it's been a bit, you know, a bit slower of late. My only concern with with Seattle is this: you have George Kirby who is obviously fatigued, and and I think that's part of the reason why the emotion came out with that. I don't know if I should have been out there for the seventh. He seems to have hit a little bit of a wall. Bryce Miller. I mean, he's way past any amount of, of innings. I think he's thrown in the, in the past. Uh, you have uh, a Brian Wu who's definitely surpassed. I think the innings that he thought he would throw this year and has been banged up, but was awesome by the way yesterday and, and has just continued to be good when he is right. But those are three important guys on your staff. And those are three guys that are already pushed pretty far here in terms of, their usage, like how much can you lean on those guys in the playoffs? How much do you think they need to lean on those guys in the playoffs when they have also Luis Castillo and a Logan Gilbert? Castillo's got to be the one that takes them the farthest. Um, I think it goes Castillo, Gilbert, because Gilbert might actually be approaching in the innings high too. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I can pull them up uh, in a moment, but Gilbert like has to be close to his he threw, career high in innings. He threw 180-85 last year, and then I think whatever he threw in the playoffs as well. Uh, but he's at 174 this year, so he he should be okay. And I think he's kind of built himself up to this point. Yeah. But that's that's the thing is like you got to really trust that he's built up, like he's yeah. ready to go. And and this is a guy that now has gone from young, exciting pitcher to now he's your workhorse. And and yeah. I'm not saying that means he's better than George Kirby. Like George Kirby could end up being the better arm next year. Uh, Heck, Brian Wu could end up being better. Who knows with the way he's been throwing. But I think you have to look at Logan Gilbert this year. And this is your number two workhorse because this is the guy that I think is going to, after Castillo, you got to ride him as far as he takes you. Yeah, but I think you have to rely on Luis Castillo. And that's my thing. And I think the same concerns that I have with Seattle are the ones that I have with Baltimore. Where Baltimore, yes, they're awesome. They're running away with the American League East right now. Um, and what I, if I'm not mistaken, yes, they do have the best record in the American League. Everybody's hitting an innings limit, except for the guys that, frankly, like shouldn't be in the postseason rotation, like Kyle Gibson. Are we relying on Kyle Gibson? I don't want to. Um, like Bradish, Uncharted Waters, Grayson Rodriguez, Uncharted Waters, Tyler Wells, again, like he's already been tapered off. So that's my concern there where you have this young, exciting rotation, but what do they look like when they're exhausted and they're pitching three weeks after everybody else around the league has gone to Cabo and gotten back and is starting to lift again. So that's my question. Um, I think they have power in numbers there. 
if it was just Wu and they were relying on Wu, I would say, okay, I'm a little nervous now. But the fact that they have Wu and they have Bryce Miller and they have George Kirby, like those three guys equaling one starter on the heels of Castillo and Gilbert, sign me up for that. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Julio yeah. Rodriguez, real quick, pre All Star, post All Star splits. They're as drastic as like anything I've seen in my time being a baseball fan. Slash line yeah. pre All Star break. 249, 310, 411. That's a 721 OPS. That's slightly below average. Post All-Star break in 51 games. 353, 398, 656. He goes from a 721 OPS to a 1054 OPS. More than a 300-point jump. He's He's got to go nuts. like that. He's got to be that guy, too. Uh, but He has been. And and I think he he will be, and and that's what I'm really excited about. I'm I'm excited to see a J Rod in, in the playoffs for more than just a couple games against a just nails Astro staff that we saw in the past. So that should be exciting, and, and I'm looking forward to that. But also to just tie a bow on the conversation, everything that we just discussed is a big reason why I'm I'm not giving up, and I'm not even that anyone's really giving up. I think it's the time to start buying stock in Minnesota. I know that we're like, oh, maybe the Guardians can get back into it with all the waiver claims. That was that was optimistic. Minnesota, with the pitching that they have, with the way that Pablo Lopez is throwing, I mean, he struck out 14 the other day. He he's has his blow ups from time to time, but you know, getting some of their guys kind of back and, and, and into the fold uh, on the pitching staff, and they seem like they're ready to go with Joe Ryan back there as well. Like this, this is a team that's built for the postseason pitching wise, and we're talking about kind of the attrition of especially American league pitching staffs across the board, even Houston, you can make that case. I mean, I'm buying some stock in Minnesota just because of that starting pitching situation that they have. That is definitely an advantage and they get to skirt out of, you know, I think some of these shorter series and, and, and avoid that and kind of lean into the starting pitching advantage. And because they have starter, like guys with starter experience that are in that bullpen. Louis Varland is going to be in the postseason bullpen. And I was just watching the Twins pregame show ahead of their Wednesday afternoon matchup with Tampa. And, you know, they were talking about Varland, like how he was, you know, outwardly pretty frustrated that he was moved to the bullpen because he's like, I'm a starting pitcher. I know I can do this. I know mm-hmm. I can get outs early in counts and I can go very deep into ball games. Um, yeah, I think it was Griffin Jacks who, who was talking on behalf of Varland. And he says, you know, I think that guy, like, yes, he was a little stubborn at first, but he understands that, you know, he may not be needed as much as he, you know, wants to be needed, but he's willing to fulfill that role. Um, a Brent Hedrick is in that bullpen. If they can have long men in there waiting and, you know, rely on three starters in Lopez and Sonny and Joe Ryan, um, I think you feel okay with turning Kenta Maeda into a long man in the postseason. I think you feel good about Louis Varland getting a couple long man appearances um, to end this year, and and then you've got him in the postseason. So yeah. they can lengthen that bullpen and that veteran trio at the top of that rotation. I don't know why I'm calling Joe Ryan a veteran, but somehow he feels like he feels one like at this it. Point. Yeah, so I I do think that they are in a really good spot. What's wild is Chris Paddock's on the mend. I don't know if they're going to really throw him into the fire there, but he's a guy that's already rehabbing now and, and has made a couple of rehab appearances and has looked good. Uh, I don't so- think he can though because he's on the he was on the sixty. He wasn't on the forty man on September one, so he yeah, that's true. 
he couldn't even play in the postseason. Yeah, huh? it's just wild though. Looking into next year, just uh, an embarrassment of riches starting pitching wise. And I mean, Keiko's starting for them right now. Oh yeah, I know, I know. Which is which is crazy. Uh, and then of course Royce Lewis and, and the guys that they have in the fold now on the offensive side, it's starting to pick up over there as well. Let's talk real quick, Wayno, because Wayno picks up one ninety nine, and I'm way more invested in this than I should be. I really want to see Wayno get two hundred, and I feel like Wayno really wants to get two hundred because. I mean, of course, this has been a really tough year for him. And Wainwright's one of the most likable guys in the game. And we wondered if he was going to kind of ride off into the sunset last year with, you know, his longtime teammate, Albert Pujols. And then, of course, Yadier Molina. And it just seemed like it would have been perfect for him to do that for whatever reason. You know, he decides to come back for one more. And, you know, maybe it was to compete and, and play for a big opportunity, play in the playoffs one more time because, you know, we thought the Cardinals could do that. And not only have the Cardinals sucked, Wayno's been really, really bad. It's just another guy where you just see the body. just It's just not there anymore. He's 40, what, what 42 now at this point? So it's been tough. A 7.95 ERA, but he somehow just kind of finesses his way to a quality start last, last time out, and he picks up win 199. The good news about the Cardinals sucking is that they can let Wayno go, and he mm-hmm. can keep throwing, and I hope he gets maybe three more starts here. I definitely will get two more. I want him to get 200 so badly, man. I mean, it, it, first of all, Cardinals fans deserve that. Wayno deserves that. And then I want to get into a conversation about who the hell else is ever going to win 200 games in our in our sport today. But, I mean, are you as invested in Wayno getting to 200 as I am? Because I would really love to see it. It's going to feel really good. And I saw the video of him hugging everybody as they walked back into the clubhouse when he got them the win. And he said to Ryan Helsley, you're never on the hill when I am. (laughs) And like, that's not good because that's the closer of St. Louis Cardinals. And he's never on the mound in the same game that Wayno is. Um, Yes, I'm going to be very happy for Adam Wainwright and for Cardinals fans if he gets to 200. If is a huge word here. Do you know when win 198 came? Oh God. Um one ninety-eight. That had to come in like the first half, right? June 17th. <laughs> oh, I think man. it took I think it took 12 starts for him to get his next win. So there I'm- really is no guarantee here that he wins it in his last three games. Um I I also just want to run you through the slash line right now. Do you know what opponents are slashing against Adam Wainwright at this moment? I can it's tell it's gotta you. be it's gotta be three hundred. 400 like it's got to be really really gross i don't i don't even want it. like just just let it let it rip do, do you want it like it's bad like you're not gonna just just bad. let it rip just let it rip I'll... opponents are slashing 354 oh 09 593 against him that's a 1002 ops opponents are opsing over a thousand against adam wainwright this year I think Acuna has a 101 OPS right now. A 1002 OPS as I pluck the league leaders. A 1002 OPS would be yeah, fifth in baseball, one point better than Ronald Acuna Jr. 354 would lead all of baseball. A 409 OBP would be fifth in baseball just ahead of Yandy Diaz and Corey Seager and a 593 slug would be fifth in baseball ahead of Acuna and Freddie Freeman. It's Man, an I, I don't, I don't mean to like disparage Wayno Cause he's had such a phenomenal, but like career. why stick around for this long when like this is happening? 
Yeah, I don't know if he knew it was going to happen like this, but I, you know, I'm I'm glad he's finishing it out because the team sucks. I think if they were good. Obviously, he would he would not be doing this. Yeah. But there was that that home run that he gave up. I think it was like the first pitch of the game to to yeah. Ronald Acuna, where it was 85, just right down the dick. And I mean, this last start he was 87, and honestly, I think that makes a big difference for him being Huge 87 difference. versus 85. When he's 85, I I think it's arguably one of the worst starting pitchers in the modern era, like in terms of just like what he's at at this point. So like, hopefully he can, he can be at 87 and he could just have a bunch of barrels line right at people. And his, his ball club can just bail him out with some offense because he had a chance against the Padres. He went six innings, a one run ball walked three, struck out one. And his team just didn't pick up the slack. Man, we scored one run and they lost that. And he actually was handed the loss in that one. So, We'll see. I, I think it's unlikely. Like, I, I'm hoping like baseball has a weird way of this divine intervention where these things end up happening. And it's just that's why I love the sport. Yeah. What's your prediction here? Do you, you think he does it? Yeah, I think so, because baseball is baseball and I want it to happen so badly for him. And I, I rattled off these numbers, not because like I want people to understand how shitty he is, but because like this is a guy that had a three, three, eight career era coming into this year <laughs> and his career era is up to three five four which sucks you know that, how that hard it is in year 18 do you know how hard it is for that number to jump as high as it has yeah. um like this has kind of tarnished the way that i think like my kids will end up looking at adam wainwright's baseball reference page you know what i mean it's like, a little bit marginally but year? yes Marginally, but yes, we're going to need to rely on anecdotes as opposed to a guy like Ortiz, where, you know, your kids say, damn, David Ortiz was awesome when he was 40. And I'm going to say, yeah, I agree with Wayno. They're going to say, man, this Cardinals pitcher sucked when he was 41 years old. And I'll be like, yes, but he was so good before then. It's funny when you look at the way it'll stack up like all time in terms of like ERA, uh, career ERA, he probably dropped. (laughs) Hundred spots, yeah, fifty more. Spots. But to to go to now, how hard it is to win two hundred games in, in today's game. You yeah. know, you, you active leaders uh, in terms of wins. Justin Verlander has two fifty five. Zach Greinke has two twenty four. Scherzer has two fourteen. Kershaw has two oh nine. Wayno at one ninety nine, of course, is the last guy that has a very easy crack at it. I think you could make the case that Garrett Cole should be able to get there at 143. I think that's that's a fairly you know reasonable and I think almost more likely than not that that Garrett Cole gets to 200. I mean 57 more wins and with the way he's throwing right now and and for a Yankees team that you figure will get better over the course of the remainder of his career where he will presumably stay in New York. But you look beyond there, man, it gets uh it gets a little hard to find someone that could win 200 games. Charlie Morton ain't winning 70 games. <laughs> he's he's already at 39 years old and, and has 130 wins. Chris Sale, unfortunately, just you know, kind of fell off a cliff in terms of that pace. 120 wins, he's nowhere near. And you keep going down, down, and down. A lot of the active leaders, even when you get to the 90 to 100 win range, are all on the other side of 30. The first player that I can find, if I'm not, you know, oh, like skipping over somebody. The youngest player with more than 80 career wins is Jose Barrios with 82. Like that's that's the epitome of what the game is today. But 
I kind of ask you now, like, is anybody going to win 200 games after maybe Garrett Cole? Yes, but I don't think that guy's in the big leagues right now. Here's why I think it's Parker Messick of the Cleveland Garden. No, I mean, <laughs> it like, I don't know if that guy exists in Major League Baseball right now because baseball has changed since Adam Wainwright entered the Major Leagues. Baseball has changed since Jose Barrios has entered the Major Leagues. Um, where not only have like, you know, the constraints on starting pitchers tightened up big time where, you know, starting pitchers, if if they give it hell are going to go, you know, six innings and like the pitches per inning clip is, is probably way up at this point because there is an increased emphasis on missing bats as opposed to missing barrels. Um, the other thing is think about how velocity obsessed we have become as a game. And I don't blame anybody one bit for that. But in order to win on the mound, you need to throw really hard now. And throwing really hard limits your output, either on a per-year basis. Like, something's going to go. The fact that nothing is gone for Barrios, the fact that nothing is really gone for Cole, and we'll see with Sandy, but the fact that nothing is really gone for Sandy. Sandy, by the way, is only like 25, 26 years old right now. So I, I think Cole and Barrios are the two to look at, where it's like, How has nothing fucked you? The other thing is teams that are 500 or below 500, they're never going to get guys that win 20 games in a given year. That's the other other wrinkle in it. If you win 200 in a career, you have to be flirting with 20 on a year-by-year basis. And there are just... That's why we don't care about the stat anymore. That's that's why we don't care. That's the thing. I think when 200-win guys racked up People gave a shit about wins. Now wins are borderline irrelevant in baseball. And I, I don't think people give enough of a shit to hunt 200. No. And I, and I, that's the thing is I don't think it'll be a factor. I, I think we only care about Wayno and you know, maybe a, a Cole because this might be the last, you know, the last shot really. The, and this might be the last guys that actually care about that as well. Like, you know, Wayno cares about that because again, he entered the, the league wanting to win. I'm sure a couple hundred games like that was what you thought of. And and it's different now, but that's something that, you know, I, I'm excited. Like I want to see that for Wayno. I want to see it for the, the Grizzly vets in this game. And then, you know, changing of the guard, maybe it'll be strikeout thresholds that, that we look at that, you know, become more of this commonplace. I don't think people look at strikeout numbers and say, Oh, like that's the number that, that really solidifies you as a hall of famer. That might end up being the, the new norm. And, and that'll be fun too. That'll be totally fun too. And and I think there's already some of that, but I think it'll just continue to be more of the case as, as we move forward. Yeah, I don't think the 3,000 strikeout guys are going away. Um, I, no. I think that we will have a whole bunch of 3,000 strikeout guys and it's going to become like the three-point leader board where we just see them all in the 2030s and 2040s. And it's like, oh, wow, like we really bumped up the strikeout numbers, didn't we? And like the answer is yes. Um, but yeah, man, like you ask a pitcher coming up, hey, what are your season goals this year in the minor leagues? Oh, you know, I, I want to get to the big leagues. Okay. What are your season goals? You know, like if you were to compile every single number you put together, what are your number checkpoints this year? Oh, I want to throw 120 innings in the minor leagues or something, or in the big leagues, I want to get as close to, I can as 200 innings. I want to strike out 200, you know, the lofty goals are, you know, Strider can say, I want to strike out 275. Um, I want to have an ERA sub three and a half, or I want to have a sub three for the best. Nobody's saying, I want to win 15 games in the big leagues this year. No, No. nobody cares. 
They'll cite whip and batting average against before wins. Yeah. I and mean, it's fair because that's what translates and that's what gets you paid nowadays. But paid. Guy that just broke in uh, that I know has been a, a journey for him and, and you've seen a part of it. He's will make his big league debut as we're recording this. By the time you're listening, he will have already made it for the Washington Nationals. Jackson Rutledge. I, I want to tee you up on this because I know you have nothing but great things to say about Jackson Rutledge, the person, but real quick before I toss it over to you, I mean, Jackson Rutledge was 17th overall pick out of San Jacinto College, which I mean, that is a powerhouse Juco in Houston. And he was the buzz of all buzz, like the, the data that he was churning out, the the velocity, uh, the projection at a six, eight, you know, frame you had to just be so excited about what he could possibly be. And then injuries just really derailed him. And we didn't really know if he was ever going to really be able to get to the big leagues. I think there was points where you see a seven, six, eight ERA in 2021 at the lower levels. And you're like, man, I don't know if this is ever going to come together. And 2022 he's banged up at a five ERA in, in low A. This guy's not climbing anywhere. And then they assigned him straight to double A this year, three, one, six ERA, really solid numbers. And then AAA, he holds his own to a 4-4 ERA. Look, I don't think he's going to be the first-round pick guy that they were hoping he'd be. But it's pretty awesome that he made it to the big leagues. And, and he's had you know, quite the path. And, and I hope he can stick around. And I think he's got the talent to stick around. Yeah, and it's from the work. Um, because it's it's really hard for big dudes like that to stay in baseball shape. Like that, That's kind of what I'm realizing. You, you have all this mass. And... You know, you see a lot of these professional athletes after retirement, they just kind of like quickly balloon because they're so used to this, this like intake, like think about how much protein and how many carbohydrates they put in their body on a daily basis because they're burning so much with yeah. Rutledge, that guy, you know, I saw him in short season after he was drafted and that guy took as good a care of his body as anybody that I've ever seen. And the pitching coach in Auburn, New York, I asked him about Rutledge and he was like, I stay out of that dude's way. You know, like there are some pros where, you know, I, I want to like, you know, I can help. They ask me for help. There are some guys where, you know, I, I offer my thoughts and um, there's that like Rutledge, he didn't stay out of his way because he was a dick. Like, and Rutledge was like, I don't need your help. I've got like a, you know, a travel pitching coach, whatever <laughs> it was. That guy knows pretty much more about his body and his pitching than I could ever push onto him. Yeah, so yeah. like. He's a guy that's constantly videoing what he does. And this was a guy that had a band routine when nobody had band routines. Um, the fact that he is six, what is he? Six, eight, two fifty. Six, eight. Yeah. Yeah. He's six, eight, two fifty, two sixty. That's a very clean two fifty, two sixty at six, eight. Um, would it be nice if he could throw 99 at, at 200 innings a year? Yes, absolutely. But you just don't get those guys, man. Like you have to be Tyler Glasnow's standing backflip at six eight. Like that guy has some sort of God given, you know, freak nature thing that you know very few people have. And people that large, unless you're Randy Johnson, and I believe a lot of Randy Johnson was God given. It's really hard to stay healthy for a long period yeah. of time. So Rutledge, I, I think he found the way to optimize his, you know, kind of day to day. And I think he found a way to push his body to the brink at such a young age that like, you know, all of a sudden six, eight, two fifty kind of crashed a little bit, but um, it's so cool to see this guy kind of fight through that muscle up and, and be more in tune with his body now. Yep. Um, 
you know, I don't want to say like, I don't care what it looks like. Cause I'm rooting for, you know, a ton of success as a starting pitcher. But if this guy, you know, ended up coming out of the pen in one inning spurts and he's a six, eight reliever, dude, he might get back to 99. Well, and there were questions as to whether he'd even get to the show. I'm sure he had doubts at times just because of the health issues that he was having. And they, he's kind of tweaked the mechanics a bit. And, and now the VO is really ticked up. I'm looking at the last handful of starts. Nat, Jack, real quick, Nats went back to back Mason Denneberg and Jackson Rutledge. And that could have been really bad. Denneberg, I don't think ever played above low A. No, no, that could have been a disaster. Um, yeah. And and I like the Rutledge pick. Denneberg, even at the time, I was like, ooh, that's an interesting one. But I think there's a world where things click for Rutledge at the big league level. And all of a sudden you you see a guy that maybe the stuff always, you always feel like he should be better than he is in terms of whiffs, but it's mid to upper nineties, good enough stuff gets outs and slots into the number four spot in your rotation. But I think there's a world where things could continue to progress for him. And he's still just 24. He's lost a lot of time in development. He hasn't pitched that much against you know, more challenging competition and over his last handful of starts in AAA, he's been pretty solid and goes into his big league debut off of a five inning shutout 7K performance, where his fastball averaged 96. So maybe it comes back a little bit and maybe this guy ends up being a decent piece for them. So I'm excited for him I, from you and from others. I've heard nothing but great things about Jackson Rutledge, the person, and obviously he's worked his, his tail off to get here. So hopefully he can stick staying on the Nationals. I just put out a piece, which is linked in the episode description. I put a lot of time into this one because I've always been enamored with with C.J. Abrams and just what he could potentially be. And when you're looking at the Nationals in this rebuild mode and now playing pretty well this year, I think for a team that, you know, neck deep in a rebuild, I think they played, they're having a nice season. C.J. Abrams is a big part of that. And I think that people... We talk about perception and expectations and things like that. It wasn't really until I dove into the full journey of CJ Abrams where I realized it was even more tumultuous of a of a development path than I think even I thought about. And and I've talked about how few at bats he had in the minor leagues and how he was kind of set up to be thrown into the fire as much as anybody I could remember in recent memory. He's a guy that was drafted straight out of high school early in the first round of the top ten and. They put him straight in the complex. He wins Arizona Complex Player of the Year by hitting over 400. That was enough for them to be super aggressive with him, them being the Padres at the time. And he was really excited to potentially go to low A. He goes to low A right after lighting up the complex to finish out the year of his first pro season, messes up his shoulder, cuts the season short. He only plays two games in low A. Then you have 2020, which is COVID canceled, so he doesn't get to get any more games under his belt there. And then he's playing at the alt site definitely that's part of it that's hard to quantify and hard to build into the whole aspect of like what is what is he developing there and obviously he developed plenty but you still have to get live at bats and they were getting live abs but in a real game setting to, to truly truly develop there's no scouting reports they're not they're just playing ball out there for the most part and you're working with with the big league club but that was a good part for his development and he showed out enough there that when 2021 rolled around they sent him straight to double a as a 19 year old and he goes straight to double and he rakes. And I thought that was a crazy assignment. But in double, he hits 296, 363, 420 slash line and looked like he was rolling. Then he gets hurt again. Freak injury, collides, breaks it or fractures his tibia, tears something in his knee, out for season. So there we go. Momentum killed again. Then in 2022, 
he impresses so much in spring training that he makes the team out of camp. So this dude makes his big league debut, having only played what was it, 82 minor league games, and 32 of those came at the rookie level. And you're expecting this guy to try to survive at the big league level? Not only survive, contribute for a Padres team that was in absolute win-now mode. He struggles. They send him back to AAA. Then they bring him back up. He struggles again. And then they trade him. And then the Nationals send him to AAA. Then they bring him back up. And he just has this roller coaster of a year where it was frustrating. And I think that was the year, last year, where people started to forget how talented C.J. Abrams was. Because if he just had a traditional development path, he would have turned into number one prospect in baseball, hitting home runs all of a sudden. Or like, oh my God, this guy's an 80 runner and can hit like this. The defense is coming along. They were putting so much responsibility on this kid to not only hit at the big league level, play everyday shortstop. And I just think he was in fight or flight mode the whole time. And it really stunted the development. I break it all down in the piece, even with video and numbers to back it all up. But the reason why I want to highlight Abrams is he was a little slow out of the gate in the first half and then has been fantastic in the second half. And when I dove into the data, I dove into the swing. I dove into some of the, just the video that I was able to gather. Cause of course at the big league level, it's so much easier to get all the different angles. This looks like a dude that is just about to break out and is scraping the surface of what I think is going to be a very, very good player and a cornerstone for the, for the nationals at shortstop for a long time. He is still 22 years old. That was the big thing. This guy you would think he's 25 by this point. But I'm going to run through guys that were born in 2000. C.J. Abrams was born October 3rd, 2000. Guys that were born earlier than C.J. Abrams. So guys with 2000s birthdays or 2000 birthdays that are older than C.J. Abrams. Ben Joyce, Sedan Rafaela, Quinn Priester, Oslavis Basabe, Johan Rojas, Lawrence Butler, Bobby Witt Jr., of course, Witt got there so quick. Andy Rodriguez, Alec Thomas, Sal Freelich, Wade Meckler, Colton Kowser, Bo Naylor, Logan Ohapi. All these guys are older than C.J. Abrams. They were on our midseason update. They were on our midseason update. And they and what you said in the TLDR wasn't like, hey, older for this prospect. No. Class. Like Josh Young was old. Like Young is yeah. like three years older than him. Um but like Abrams, dude, I, you know, I had this conversation about Trent Grisham too. And it's like, people forget that Trent Grisham is sneaky, only like 27, 28 years old. Cause he's gone yeah. through so many different arcs in his career already. Abrams, there've been like four different arcs in the last two years from CJ Abrams, about the last three years from CJ Abrams. Even when you look at his minor league trajectory too, like it's so easy to forget that this guy has so much time and he got such an early start to his major league career. Uh, the fact that he is scraping the surface right now and looks comfortable in the major leagues at 22 years old, he's not behind the eight ball. You can call it a slow start, but he could have been in double A at this point. And the the thing, do you remember like for how long have I been pounding the table? And if he was in double A, by the way, he'd be lighting it up. And he, yeah. again, would be one of the best prospects, if not the best prospect in baseball. Pounding the table. People don't realize how much power C.J. Abrams has. I kept saying that and kept saying that and kept saying that because he's long and lanky, but everyone just thinks, oh, speedy slap hitter. Well, first of all, before he gets to the power, he was seven for 11 on stolen bases in 90 big league games last year. You can talk about the new rules. Of course, that helps a little bit. You don't go from seven for 11 to 41 for 44. 
He is the most efficient base stealer of anybody who has stolen more than 30 bags, and he's in the top five in stolen bases. So that's already become, he's already become one of the best base stealers in Major League Baseball. So that that's one side of it. Then to wrap up on this, 18 home runs on the year, really solid. A majority of those have come in the second half. He's at 11 home runs in his last 60 games. If you pretty much look just from July 1st onwards, he has been a different kind of hitter. He's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting the ball in the air. He's leveraging his body better. He's lifting the ball more in terms of just consistency. And I highlight all those metrics in the piece, but I'm not comparing him to Trey Turner. I don't want to do that to him yet. But the, the thing that's interesting with Turner is he was always speed and hit and let's see if the glove comes along. And people kind of slept on how much power was in there. And he got to the big league so quick off the, the speed and the hit that we kind of forgot that there's more development to be had. And then he grew into more power at the big league level and learned how to leverage power at the big league level. Abrams, he's put up 112.5 mile per hour exit velocities this year. Like That is borderline flashing plus power. And so if he's an above average power guy, like he might get into that in year two, year three, year four. We saw Christian Yelich not get into his power until year six. And it's similar, that skinny, long levered, try to control the body type guy. The defense is continuing to, to be a work in progress and has come along as well. So I'm just looking at him through that lens. And I'm like, this guy can finish his development at the big league level and may not even really show us what he can be until he's 24, 25. And that might be an all-star. I think it is. I think it's perennial all-star. And that I think is what people were dreaming on. Like, I guess going into last year, do you remember where you had him on your top 100 going into 2022? Probably for 10? sure. Yeah, I'm almost positive. Yeah, I think he would be top 10. I think he might be top five. Yeah, like, but, you know, you don't put a guy there if you don't firmly believe that he has perennial all-star yep. upside. And he does. He has perennial all-star upside. And the fact that we're starting to get glimpses of that at 22 years old is commendable. Um, yes, he's got the sneaky juice like you're talking about. But the thing that like jumps out to me, too, and you highlight it in the article is, I mean, this guy, like, not only is a really good defender, he's a great defender at shortstop. Great. He's, he's definitely getting there, which is really fun to see. It's the only thing is, like, the range. That's why he grades bad in OAA. But, but like, that's going to come. He's fast as shit. He's going to be rangy. Dude, a year and a half ago, we were talking about this guy like, hey, he should probably make the move to center field now. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, where is he going to be soon? So that's what I'm really excited about. So way more in-depth and way more detailed with video and everything that is in the episode description. Any final thoughts as we wrap up this Thursday episode? Uh, I don't think so. Um, Edward Shout out Kyle Hurt. Kyle Hurt balled out in his big Dude. league debut for the Dodgers. That was awesome. Another okay. cool story. Kyle Hurt was, was fucking great. talking to himself when he like a scoreless inning. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see that guy in the pen. Unfortunately, he won't be in there in the both season, but uh, this guy's going to be a good major leaguer. He probably oh, yeah. is going to be his reliever, but I'm not sure. I think swingman type and a good one. Cool. I, I think, and maybe he could stretch out as a starter. I, I, he's the kind of guy that could like piggyback and be great. Uh, like Pavetta is doing like something like that and be really good at it. So he, it's just another found guy. He was a throw in deal with Vessia uh, to get Dylan Floro. And that was a fifth round pick by the Marlins. Like he, the, the Dodgers just are dodgering there. And, and that was, that was fun to see him perform out there. And it, it was, it was really impressive stuff, but that'll do it for this episode. 
A reminder as basketball season creeps up, by the way, too. Check out our friends at the Just Basketball Show. They're doing awesome stuff previewing the entire league. And I'm just waiting for the Dame Lillard to Miami episode. Hopefully that'll be coming around soon. But they're previewing the entire league. They do an awesome job. That's available on all podcast platforms and YouTube. So check that out. And of course, the Just Baseball merch. Check that out in the episode description. We would love for you to be sporting some of your Just Baseball stuff. I love it when people tag us and show the Just Baseball merch that they're rocking at the ball game. And we'll probably have a little bit of a, a sale when the playoffs come around. So keep an eye out for that as well. Anything else, Jack? I don't think so. I think we're good. All right. That's it. Appreciate it. The three of us will talk to you tomorrow.